it's like Game of Thrones, except the ending has already been written by the author, and they don't have to make up some nonsense, which makes T.G. Shepard wonder. Why, 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 why is this not a movie? Hello and welcome to Why Is This Not a Movie, the podcast where we look at a moment in history or a book or a story we can rip from the headlines and ask Hollywood why no one's ever put it on at the big screen. I'm Mike Vago, author and regular contributor to the AV Club. This week I'm joined by Lisa Shepard, a fantasy author who writes under the name T.G. Shepard, whose book As a God is out of print because her publisher folded. She's bringing it back along with a sequel. Uh, and she reviews movie fight scenes and 30 seconds at a time of John Wick on her terrific website, tgshepard.com, S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D, although I guess you can probably read that in the episode title. Anyway, Lisa, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for tell, having me. Tell us about The Curse of Chalion and why it needs a big screen adaptation and whether I'm saying Chalion right. Uh, as far as I know, you're saying it right. It's... Uh... A second world fantasy, so Lord knows, right? Um, it's weird to me that Lois Master Bujold, who is the author of this book, hasn't had more stuff adapted. And uh, you'd think it would because she's written a very, very popular space opera called the Varkosigan Saga that has won every award possible. But she's written a lot of fantasy too. And this is one of the ones that, that strikes me as being imminently adaptable because it's not showy magic heavy like there isn't like big flashy magic so there's like that cuts like we're not having dragons having to animate dragons and i think but it's really interesting and really well written and the characters are great but it looks like it's and, the same kind of political intrigue and yeah um it, it, it the, the this particular series is three novels and a series about 12 interconnected novellas um set at various times and places in this world called it's called the world of the five gods and this was the first book written, but it's kind of like the second to last book chronologically. And just to set it up, like the mythos of the world is very important. So their major um, religion is a religion that holds that there are five gods, the mother, father, daughter, son, and then a fifth god who's half demon called the bastard. And the bastard is the son of the mother and a demon. Each of the gods rules over a season and a specific part of the body and a certain specific trait. So mother is about like fertility. Uh, she rules summer, the father of winter, the daughter of spring, the mother of summer and the son of autumn. The son is a war God. The father is the God of justice. The daughter is the God of truth or a learning. And the bastard is the God of all things, not covered by every other thing. Typically there's internecine wars. Like there's, there's a uh, sort of, quote-unquote viking civilization in this world that only believes there are four gods and the holds that the fifth god is an abomination so there's like internecine wars about that and yeah which so it, one, which one's the odd god out is it the bastard the bastard okay. yeah they they hold the bastard as a demon not a god and so that to worship him is to but as the books progress the mythology progresses and you can see that maybe some ideas progressed as well and what it comes towards is that there are demons in the world and they have specific purposes and they can be used to, to create magic users, but it's the magic of chaos and has specific rules. So it's a very codified, stratified thing. But one thing is that in this world, the word saint doesn't quite what it means in our world. When you're a saint of one of these gods, they grant you a small amount of their power. And either they grant it temporarily for one task or you get a small amount of it permanently. So if you're a petty saint of the father, you would usually be in the judiciary something like you would always be able to know who was lying okay yeah if you were a petty saint of the mother you'd probably be a great healer most petty saints of the mother are healers petty saints of the daughter are usually scholars and petty saints of the son are, are soldiers and then saints of the bastard are magic users who can banish and summon demons 
And so that becomes important because a lot the a lot of this book is tied up in the religion. But just a, a breakdown of the plot of the book is it opens up with a man who has just been released from captivity. Like he's he's walking home to the only home that he can think of to try where he used to live as a child and it's not even his home it's where he used to serve as a page to try and find work because he has he's broken his mind's been broken he's been chained to a galley or for 19 months his mind is broken his body is broken he has no money he has no family he has nothing and through a series of events he winds up becoming the tutor to the princess of the realm so this is a a, a monarchy with a what they call Roy, they, the terms they use are Roya uh, and uh, Royas, Royina, and uh, Royce. So it's king, queen, dot. So he becomes the, he finds that at this family home where he used to serve, the dowager queen has returned with her children. And she has apparently gone insane, but her children are fine, but they're also the only heirs of the throne because their cousin who's on the throne has, doesn't have any children and there's like so that now these are very important people but the daughter's not as important because the daughter's not going to inherit it's the younger son that's going to inherit so she he is hired to tutor this daughter and through a series of events they wind up leaving this small country town and going to the capital because it's okay the son is the only one who can inherit and then the son dies so the daughter suddenly becomes the most important person in the realm. And these very corrupt and evil men who are the, the essentially the prime minister and his brother are now plotting to marry her to one of them, to the younger one, so that they can control the throne. And they are doing this in such a way that is not very pleasant for her. <laughs> and... The main character, his name is uh, Lupe de Cazarel, and he's called Caz, decides that he has to stop this by any means necessary, and he winds up stopping it by praying to the daughter of Spring to spare her life. And what he gets instead, expecting that he's going to die, he expects that when he says this prayer that they're going to take his life in, in repayment. And what he discovers is that what the daughter has done instead is... He has a death demon that is now living in his body, but she has spared him, which has never happened before. So he has, he has summoned she, the death. Sorry, she's sorry, the daughter? The, so the daughter of summers, or the daughter of spring, the god, has granted him the miracle of the death. So she, right, right. they wind up killing the bad guy, but he's not dead. Normally it would be a one for one switch. So you can pray, you can pray to the gods for a death, but your life is forfeit. So he wakes up expecting to have never woken up he's expected to to die discovers that his plan worked but he's still alive somehow and how is this possible so it then turns into this very complex political intrigue where they're trying to figure out how he's still alive and he thinks he has a tumor that's killing him now but let me there's a to the demon yeah and there's a prophecy about uh the only man who can free chalion from this curse is a man who dies four times so there have been literal attempts been made to like by loyal courtiers to die four times, like be drowned and resuscitated. And the last one almost worked, but didn't. So that was what drove Ista, the, the mother of this, the princess mad was that the curse almost broke and then didn't. And she, she went, was driven mad because of it. And so Kazaril winds up going on a quest to try and figure out how to 
to a protect the girl the princess but also to figure out if there is some way he can die four times and i you know it's an older book i don't really want to go into spoilers but he does figure it out and at least one of the ways is that it's not an actual literal death as it turns out that the gods accept the figurative death as well and there he has at least basically the idea that if you gave if you gave your life for another expecting to die and didn't that counted as a death yeah, I mean, from this, I've read the synopsis, I haven't read the whole book, but it looks like a, yeah. like a self-sacrifice where you fully intend to die for somebody. Yeah, so basically, by the time we get to the hymn praying to the, to the gods for the princess's salvation, that's actually his third death. He doesn't realize it at the time. He's actually gone through two before that, that he doesn't realize. Like the, when he, was, he actually saves a young boy when he's chained at this galley. He saves a young boy's life and is almost whipped to death but doesn't die. And that's his second death. And then his third death was when he accepted that he was going to like, so, so yeah, so he's got these, these things and it winds up that what saved him was two simultaneous miracles from two different gods, which is like just amazing to these people. But it's, it's a wonderfully um, rich and varied world. And those master Bujold has a gift for character and world building. She can build world fast, but she builds it on the basis of, it's a very Renaissance medieval Spain is what it feels like. Well, I, I had read a line that's based on um, like the reunification of Spain. Yeah. With yeah. Ferdinand Mary's Isabella. That's sort of where this plot leads up to. That, yeah. That's what it feels like. Cause it feels like, it feels like she took the Ibrian peninsula and, and like flipped it. And so like Portugal's on the other side, <laughs> you know? Oh, right, and right. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what it feels like. And, and the world is different, but so, so it's got this energy. So whenever I read this book, I always saw Casarel as a Spaniard or as Hispanic, right? And like, I'm not sure how you do this. Do you want to start talking about casting now or do you want to? Oh, sure. I mean, I, I just want to say one more thing about the book itself, yeah. which is that, um, well, two, two things that I got. Mm-hmm. One is I opened with the Game of Thrones comparison because the similarities are really striking, but sort of in all the ways that we love Game of Thrones, early on yeah the characters and the richness of the world yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah it's a really well thought out world it's all got all these colorful characters and the his- the real life history it's based on because game of thrones is based on the war of the roses and george rr R. martin just flat out said i took the lancasters and the yorks and made them the lannisters and the starks like it's yeah. that directly lifted and yeah. so this isn't quite as directly lifted from spanish history as far as i can tell but it's very grounded in that and so you can kind of draw, you, you're already, you're not inventing a culture whole cloth, but you can add all yeah. of this, all this stuff. And the other thing was that I like, if I, if I understand this correctly, she published a trilogy of books and then 10 years later followed them up with a series of novellas between, she did seven, seven short books between 2015 and 2017. But if I read this right, she self-published those. Yeah. Which I think is a great way for an author to operate. Like I've got my yeah. audience the main, you know, the mainstream publishing industry has put me out there, but now I'm just going to tell the stories I want to tell for my audience, which already exists. She's a uh, she's a Sifwa Grandmaster, so she has. I mean, she's won every award possible, and oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I wanted to mention when you were talking about her sci-fi winning awards. Only two authors in history have ever won four Hugo Awards, and that's Buhold and uh, Robert Heinlein. Yeah, exactly, and and I prefer her work personally um if you want to read a one-off fantasy by her just to get sort of an idea of her uh, the spirit ring is set in a um a renaissance italy where magic is real as opposed to just well so while they're hunting witches in renaissance italy in our world there are no witches in this world there are and it's a really interesting story and it's a one-off and you could just you get a flavor of her 
of her writing as a fantasy and the way she ties things together. So if that one is just the one book, but this one, yes, three novels and like a bunch of, and I think another one just came out because I've read them all. The, the Panorama oh, yeah. uh, novellas are very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one question before we get in director and cast, should this be a movie or should this be a series? I want or, this to be a TV series personally. Yeah. Cause that, that's often the direction we end up going in this. It's called why is this not a movie, but, but often mm-hmm. if there's a story that this, with this many characters, with this much going on in the plot, with such a rich world to explore, it makes sense to do this over the course of a couple of seasons of a TV series. I think because of multiple books, you could also do multiple films and make it a series that way. But even from Thank- sort of the, the financial production standpoint, I feel like it's easier to commit to an Amazon series than like four big like tentpole movies. I think you could make this one, the first book, which is the simplest of them, into one movie or two movies. And I actually think that might be an interesting idea is to make the first book a movie and then do the other ones as TV series because they are sort of more complex. This one's the, got the simplest plot. Like I could write this script and there'd be stuff that you would excite out of it, but you, I could write this as a script, as a two-hour movie, and you would actually get a really good movie out of it because it has very specific beats. You just have to compress it a bit, right? Right, That's right. All. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's specific I, plot points and beats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can almost do what they do with Battlestar Galactica with the reboot where they did a two hour movie for sci-fi just to see like, does this work? Is there an audience for this? And then when, when there yeah. clearly was, then they kept going you know, episode by episode. Yeah. And that, that would work really well for this too, because you could do this and then the Paladin of Souls, which is the next one actually would do really well as eight or 10 hours because it's it's a much more complex story. It's almost a murder mystery. Okay. It's a murder mystery where the guy who was murdered doesn't know he's dead. <laughs> and then the third one, which is set about 100 years before this book in a different part of the world, is actually my favorite book. It's, um, oh, I forgot what it was called. Son, uh, Son of Autumn or something. But um, that one's got sort of more like obvious magic in it. And it's really good. And that one would make a really interesting TV series. Yeah. Uh, the, ha- the Hallowed Hunt. The Hallowed Hunt, yeah. And that one would make a really interesting TV series because that one's really, it's got some really adult themes, not like sexually adult, but like very, um, very complex theming to it about like royalty and family and responsibility. It's really interesting, actually. But that one's, that one's set 100 years before? It's set 100 years before in a different part of the world. Okay, so you're basically just tearing up the cast entirely. Yeah, you tear up the cast entirely, but you're in the same world. So that wouldn't be an interesting TV series. But, you know, we, we have series like Fargo and American Horror Story that, um, that do tear up the cast every season. Exactly. And, and, and can make True Detective. Work. True Detective. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that I, I just have wanted to see more of in fantasy, and I guess in sci-fi too, um, you get this a little bit in sci-fi, where you do this world building, you establish a world that you really like and want to live in and spend time in, but the character's story is kind of done. And rather yeah. than, I guess you're kind of getting that, like the Mandalorian a little bit is rather than like, and then another thing happened to Luke Skywalker. Okay. Here's this world that we know. And, but here's some different people in a different you know, story with some familiar elements. It's the actual power of the, of any kind of extended universe um, thing. And it, it is that it's about different corners of the same world. So it's got the, you, you've, you've got the place to stand, but you're not always looking in the same direction. Yeah, exactly. And my, yeah. my favorite thing now is when these, these sort of sprawling franchises explore new ground instead of going back to, uh, like I'm a Star Trek fan and I've been enjoying Discovery, but it's kind of least interesting things is like, oh, here's Spock when he was young. 
Yeah, that you know, seemed. I, I I still don't quite understand that choice, but okay, fine. You know, whatever. Yeah, I, f- I feel like because yeah. they were because they weren't just re- they weren't just launching this one show. They're rebooting Star Trek in its entire. You know, it it hadn't been a thing on TV for a long time, so I feel like they they needed to ground it in the familiar. But that was kind of a I don't know, maybe a very safe choice. I enjoy the Mandalorian for what it is, but I acknowledge that it's getting a little bit weird that we just keep being the same people over and over well exactly yeah and and also that everyone who you've seen die and was established is dead oh guess what they're not really they're not dead yeah i know which means like it it, kind of just the story doesn't nothing means anything if like you know the emperor can get thrown out of a thrown out a shaft of a thing that exploded and then like "Eh, he's just back for no reason yeah Um, yeah i know you know it cheapens death in that world but it also just means the story is just a bunch of crap that doesn't you know it doesn't it, there's no things yeah, unfold absolutely. for a reason um, yeah absolutely all right well anyway let's go back to talking about this movie or or series it's it's funny the next thing we usually go to is the director mm-hmm. and the name that i had was somebody who's done a lot of very excellent tv and i thought needs a shot at the big screen it's uh, michelle mclaren who has directed episodes of game of thrones including like the battle of the bastard she's done these big epic uh sweeping things she's done the walking dead and better call saul so she's yeah. done. She's done fantasy. She's done drama. She's done, you know, sort of fight scenes and stuff with the epic scope. And she was in the conversation for Wonder Woman, and there was kind of a weird explanation for they fired her or didn't hire her because they didn't think she could do like the epic scope that she wanted. But that's all she's done. She's just done it on the small screen. And Patty Jenkins did a terrific job with Wonder Woman, and it all kind of worked out in the end. But ever since then, she's somebody's been back in, in the back of my mind that like she you know, deserves a big project and this seems to be exactly in her wheelhouse. Uh, but I also agree that it would make sense as a series. Um, no, I'm very pro that decision. Uh, she's uh, from Vancouver. So I'm always oh, into yeah. repping the local uh, folks because I'm from Vancouver. That's a great, a great choice. My weird thing with this would be if I had to give a name, it would probably be one of the Mandalorian directors because at least I know that they're, um, what I'm seeing there is that nobody is afraid to to give things their own energy, right? And and to uh, it would it would I mean it would be Taika for me because I want to executive produce it and then I'd get to meet him. But, <laughs> <laughs> but actually, now that you mentioned her name, I actually think that McLaren's a better choice. And actually, I think that that becomes my choice because I would love to see that. I would love to see that, particularly because, as I said, the first one could easily be a movie two or two and a half hour movie, easily and. I would love to see a a woman and be somebody who has been sort of not denied or maybe just shuffled to one side, get that chance. Cause that would be a great, that would be a great choice. Absolutely. Yeah, well, there's she also um, Deborah Chow directed a couple of season one episodes of Mandalorian and they're giving her the spinoff series. Yeah. Deborah Chow was one I was looking at too. And uh, David Filoni, I thought did a pretty good job for his, his stuff too. Um, although I'm obviously sh- I'm trying to shy away from recommending white men for most of the stuff, but no, I think that she would be great as well. Um, who directed Birds of Prey again? I forgot. Birds of Prey was Kathy Yan. Kathy Yan might be interesting as well, but I actually, McLaren, the more that I'm looking at her at her um, history, I actually think that she's probably the right choice, quite because frankly. Yan's, Yan's directed that and a 2018 movie called Dead Pigs. And that's, yeah. kind of all we have, that's kind of all we have to go on, a couple of short films. Yeah. McLaren actually, since you mentioned her, I think would actually be my choice now. I think that's a really great idea. Yeah, very much. I think because I think that, she can obviously handle both the big and the small parts of it right the the smaller emotional moments and also the big there's not 
there wouldn't be too many big set piece battles in the movie, but there are big action sequences that you would need to do. You know, yeah. And if there's, if there's magic, if there's magic and demons, and you know, you don't necessarily want somebody who's only done kitchen sink dramas. You need somebody who can handle the handle yeah. the special effects and all that stuff. But especially since it's, it's subtle magic, you need someone who understands how to make subtle magic look good. And I think that if you look at the way that Game of Thrones dealt with magic for like the first three or four seasons, I think that that's the way you have to deal with it. It yeah, has yeah. to be obvious that it's there, but you can't, it's not like wizard light show. It's not like fireworks and stuff, you know? Yeah, it's not like uh, Expelliarmus <laughs> and red laser shooting out of your wand. Yeah, exactly. And and so, yeah, I think that's a great choice. Actually, that's a better choice than anything I had. So, yeah, I'm going to go with your choice now. That's not All my right. choice. Yeah. I win. That's, that's not how it works. Yay. <laughs> All right. Well, you're going to win cast because I have a lot of names for a lot of supporting cast. And I, I still I couldn't find somebody I liked for cast. So who do you have? Oh, Gabriel Luna. Oh, yeah. Ghost Rider. Gabriel Luna was instant, instantaneously, as soon as I read, as soon as I saw him as Robbie Reyes, I'm like, oh no, Gabriel Luna has to be cast because he has to be <laughs> believable. He's about the right age. He's a little bit young and that's fine. It's easier to age up a dude than it is to, you know, and it's just like, he's about the right age. He's believable as a fighter because Casarol is a fighter, but he's also believable. Like he's got the emotional range to deal with the fact that Kaz is a very thoughtful very deliberate man but he's also got like a lightness to him like he loves poetry and he makes a lot of jokes like um there's a great line at one point where the the young woman that he's tutoring does something reasonably foolish and makes an enemy and he's trying to explain to her why what she did was foolish and she's kind of not listening to him and he says look in my years as a warrior one thing i learned is you do not make an enemy and then leave them alive behind you and i just thought oh i could see luna delivering that line (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah no, he, he would be good. That, that was kind of why mm-hmm. that was, this was the hardest one for me to cast because you need somebody who like has been enslaved and has lived through all this stuff and has just seen, you know, Intense horrors. emotion. Yeah. But is also kind of charming and, you know, quick witted and, uh, you know, enough to be the hero and sort of a, a romantic lead. And yeah. like, there's a, there's a lot for this, this actor to carry. And then also I kind of guessed the ages of some of these characters, but I felt like he needed to be in his thirties. Yeah, because so Gabriel we, Luna's 38. And so it, to yeah. me, that's the perfect age, yeah. We talked about this offline before the show, but uh, I think we're both thinking you, you really, this is set in medieval Spain. You want a Latinx cast for this. Yeah. And we have a lot of fantastic Latino actors who are in their like 40s and early 50s. Mm-hmm. Like I keep wanting to plug in like Oscar Isaac or you know, Gael Garcia Diego Bernal Luna. or like Diego Luna Benjamin Bratt, like all these people like yeah. who are just, too too old to be the leads, but too young to be the the parents of the leads. Yeah, but also those are those are all people I would want in there because there's enough roles where you get there's there's small juicy roles to be just like hey it's like two weeks of work you know come and hang out oh, yeah, and yeah. play this yeah and so like all of those names are people I'd be like oh I'd love to have them as this other character but I'm like as soon as I was like casting some head I'm like it's got to be Gabriel Luna like he's young enough but he's got the chops, but he's got like, he's got the presence, you know, like he's, he can be genuinely scary. you know. So it's like, I loved it. Yeah. I love that idea. So it seems to me for me in the synopsis, the second most important character is Isel, who's the, uh, the princess that he's a tutor for and the whole plot kind of hinges on her mm-hmm. uh, ascending the throne. I would like for, as I said, I would like all of, like either Latinx or um, definitely someone of color. I, I almost would like the royal family to be to be black, 
and so for me, I was I was casting young black actresses in my head for her. So I was casting um, Medina Nalwanga from Queen of Katwe and um, Zendaya, although she doesn't need the work. <laughs> China <laughs> Ann McLean from Black Lightning. Was yeah, but you one. can absolutely buy Zendaya as a, as a princess. Yes, and she would, and again, that's somebody who's got the acting chops, right? Yeah, or, yeah. Yeah, China Ann McLean from Black Lightning, Amanda Stenberg, who played Rue in Hunger Games, was I think a, oh, yeah. an up, a serious up and comer, and and she's like she's got sort of the sort of delicate beauty that the character is supposed to have, but at the same time there's like some steel down her spine, and then Storm Reed from Wrinkle in Time. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I, funny enough, I actually picked like an Afro Latino actress. Yeah. Uh, for my choice, which was uh, Harrison Guardiola, who was in The Get Down, as like an oh, aspiring yeah. singer. And I, I don't know why I picked her other than just that I liked her in that and that she strikes me as somebody who could do like Regal and Steely and there's also this curse that maybe she's going to go insane and could maybe yeah. do a little of that. Yeah, I, that's a great idea. I mean, for me, this whole thing was looking at this, like one of the reasons why I, I when we finally, I went back and forth with this and finally picked this was, have you seen that shot of John Boyega on a white horse? I don't there's think so. a there's a fame there's a photograph of John Boyega riding a horse in like a white shirt. It's a very rom- you know romantic you know um, prince kind of a, a picture. Oh yeah. And, and and I'm like, why do guys like that not get these roles? Like it's a crime that, that we're not casting these interesting actors as the romantic prince type. And then oh, so really? for me, in my head, I went, okay, who would I want who isn't a white guy or a white you know, like a white woman in oh, these sure. roles? Yeah. And so that's where a lot of my casting came from. Like, I want these guys who aren't being given those romantic prince roles or princess roles. I want them. Oh, yeah. Well, I also kind of saw this as I'm I mostly stuck to Latinx actors for most of this. But I saw this as like a Black Panther, like all hands on deck. Let's get every great actor who's been underrepresented in this group in here and just make it a showcase for all these people who who haven't been getting opportunities in blockbuster films. And this is entirely me. I couldn't find a long list of uh, Latinx, of Latina actresses that were the correct age. Um, the, the frustrating thing is that if you, because in doing this show from the beginning, if you yeah. look for lists of actors, but especially like a particular ethnicity or ethnicity. nationality or like any, any category you're looking for, it's always like 30 under 30. Or it's and like it's up and coming. People. It's always yeah. up and coming actors in their 20s. It's never like, oh, what veteran character actors in their 50s Mm-hmm. You know, there are, there are no lists of that at all. You just have yeah. to know. You just have to know actors. And um, it's 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 annoying because it's like I want to. I would love to fan. I don't want to fan cast the same people. It's like it kind of hurt my soul to put even put Zendaya on the list because oh, well, I love her. But I, I have a running joke on this show that I just always cast like the cast of if I need if I need teenagers, I just go to the cast of Stranger Things <laughs> <laughs> because they're all, they're all great and like everyone knows who they yeah. are and like there are certain and they're just certain actors that you like and you just keep wanting to put in everything. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of, yeah, part, exactly. of the, part of the reason to do the show. So it's not part of the reason why I wanted to cast Isel as black is that I want Anna Diop as her mother. Anna Who? Diop from Teen Titans, from Titans, Starfire. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would want Anna because the idea is that Ista, the mother, was a child bride, so she's still quite young. Okay. And so I would like I would I wanted Anna Diop as the mother. <laughs> so would, yeah, like because I just I love her so much. I think I think she would really she could really lean into a. Um, slightly deranged like still aware of the world but slightly deranged role and it's just there's she's got several really nice key choice scenes where you can like really do some good acting and i'm like i just love to give her that i think she'd be great in it yeah 
See, I didn't realize she was that young, but I thought of uh, Selena Sleva from Orange is the New Black. She was, she's oh. Gloria on that show, the sort of mother figure in the kitchen. And then yeah. she was like one of Spider-Man's teachers because they just threw a bunch of good actors into that. Yeah, um, that will work too. That will work yeah, too. she seems like she's, but that's what you want. You want somebody who could be crazy, but behind that, clearly somebody who was at one point very formidable. Yeah, because what it becomes clear as, as the story goes on is that she's been driven mad by the failure to lift the curse because she was a saint at the time. And it was the removal of her sainthood that drove her mad. Oh. Yeah. Oh, so see, the I, thought, mother... I thought that the curse was that everyone would go mad eventually. No, no. The curse takes a different form for every person it infects. Oh, okay, so, okay. So for the current Roya, the current king, the form it took is that he can't make any good decisions and he's childless. The idea is that what it comes down to in the end is that the curse is um, a drop of a god's blood that was spilled and is infecting the the entire bloodline of the Chalian royal family. And it takes the form of whatever the worst possible thing to do to that person would be. And But it takes, it infects every good aspect you have and turns it evil. And like twist so it around. Yeah, it even it even affects like the the bad guys in this movie, the Dijernel brothers. It even affects them because as the closer they get to the family, it has taken what what in both of them would have been positives and made them negatives, like loyalty to family, and that becomes nepotism, and oh, okay. like a, sort of like fierce protectiveness for the throne becomes fierce protectiveness for their own power, and so. She, right, one right, one right. thing about Casserole is Casserole is afraid that the longer he spends there, what's going to happen to him? What's he, what's he going to turn into? Like, what is it going to do to him? You know? Right, right. So wait, if the, I'm just one mm-hmm. plot thing I'm confused on. If the king, uh, if his curse, he can't have children, I thought Is Is was his daughter. No, Is his cousin. Oh, okay, okay. I misread that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is his cousin. Or his, no, no, his niece. His niece. Oh, his, so niece. his okay. brother. So, yeah, so his nephew's so in line for the throne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. His nephew's in line for the throne, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so the, the nephew, Titus, I don't, you didn't... Titus dies about, about halfway through the book. Oh, halfway through? Okay. I wasn't yeah, sure he's... whether that was like the climactic no, thing or whether he does have a... Okay. I wasn't no, sure no. How... He, he, he would be a supporting actor if you were nominating this for awards. Right, right, right. Okay. The, the yeah. summary I had wasn't cl- didn't make it that clear that he... Uh, the story that I see is there's a character, Dondo, who corrupts him and yeah, seems like Don... sort of a more sinister Falstaff. And that was, yeah. that was interesting to me. Yeah. Dondo DiGerno is, is the terrible person. He is a, a rapist and a murderer and a thief and a liar. And he's using religious power to line his own pockets. And it turns out he's the reason why Cazarol was imprisoned. Oh, okay. Because Cazarol, who is a man of great integrity, saw him act in a cowardly manner. They were both at a diplomatic negotiation and Dondo f- failed to do what needed to be done and the guy that they were negotiating with is a madman and was going to have them both killed and dondo was just immediately like oh well give you everything you need like don't kill me and kaz stood up to him and so dondo is still ashamed of that and so ashamed that he wants kaz dead okay it's actually one of the best lines in the book casserole gets because he's facing down this madman the guy says you can't win this and casserole looks at him and says Perhaps not, my lord, but I can make you lose. <laughs> <laughs> well, then who do, you, who do you see as him as the villain? Dondo's not actually the villain. His brother's the villain. Oh, all right. Dondo, Dondo dies about the same time as Tydez. Okay. They die within, within the chapters of each other. And Marteau, his older brother, who's like the, the chancellor, is actually the bad guy. So 
Dondo, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about that. It would be like um, I'd want to I'd, I'd want to cast somebody out of type, you know. So it's like you'd almost want to cast Chris Evans, right? But you know, you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, because uh, that's been done already. But it'd be like you'd want to cast like almost. I'd almost like if just as a for hell of it, cast Tom Holland, <laughs> but he's too <laughs> young, just to see what he'd do with it, right? I don't I, know what that one. That I actually hard. had I actually had Dal Garcia Bernal as Dondo because he wasn't basically I wanted him in the movie. He wasn't the same. He wasn't the right age for a lot of the other characters, mm-hmm. but I kind of saw him and I, again, I read the synopsis of the book. You read the actual book, mm-hmm. but, um, but the synopsis kind of focused on his relationship with Tidez the Prince and him kind of twisting and corrupting him. So I saw him as somebody who was like sort of handsome and charming and appealing and then hid this yeah. like sinister streak. And I feel like Gael could do that really well. Sir, what was the name again of the actor? Oh, Gael Garcia Bernal. He was, um, he started off with Itumama Tambien and... Yeah, no, I, you know what? thing is, is he is a very important character for the first half of the book, uh, the book, so the first half of the movie. So I wouldn't, like, I think that's a great idea. And also, like, like, like yeah. plugging in a recognizable actor as somebody who's killed off halfway through, that's always a surprise for the audience. Yeah, it's always fun. Yeah, so he is the one, the one I couldn't cast because I couldn't, I would, I would almost want that one to be sort of suddenly offered to some younger, some of the younger dudes that I don't know very well. Uh, uh, so yeah, that's not, your casting sounds great to me. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't a, know what what age he is in the book because I'd cast somebody you know in his forties, but he has his age. Okay, thirties, forties. Yeah, it could be a bit older. So it's about that age. Yeah, so it's like he's you know mid late thirties, early forties, or yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel yeah. like the 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 age is probably a little more flexible there. I didn't want to go too far out of age range with like the characters getting married to somebody else because you don't want like a fifty year old actor marrying a twenty year old. Yeah. It's noted in the in the um, in the book that it seems that he's way too old for her, so there should be a significant difference between the actress who plays Giselle and Dondo. But that could be twenty years, and that would be fine, or it could be fifteen. Oh, yeah, okay. and just age him up a bit, because it's pointed out by multiple people that it seems grotesque to be marrying him to a she's a teenager at the time. So yeah. Oh okay okay. Mm-hmm. Oh and, and another another character who we haven't mentioned much is. Um, Cavs falls for not the princess, but her handmaid, yes. uh, Beatriz, who the synopsis ever didn't say a ton about her. So I just plugged in Isabella Gomez from the One Day at a Time remake, just because she was great in that show. She's only been doing voice, voice work since and just somebody who I think deserves more work and is the right age and is like somebody who could be yeah. the romantic lead. And Absolutely. She is, she's a great character. Um, she Just because she doesn't actually have a lot of page time, she would be a, a supporting character. She's a major supporting character, but she would be a supporting character. For me, I'd be like that list of actresses I had for Izzel, whoever you liked second best would be Beatrice okay. for me. <laughs> but I think that's a great choice as well. Like, again, uh, my whole thing with this would be, uh, you know, lesser known or actresses who aren't getting the work, you know. I, and I also saw her as maybe someone a little sweeter and lighter because she doesn't yeah. have the weight of the, like, you know, the weight of the kingdom bearing on her. She's just... Yeah, she is very loyal. And in fact, the reason why Kazarul decides to go through with this death magic is because she is going to kill Dondo if he doesn't. Okay. Yeah. So, and so he, she's like, teach me how to use a knife. I'm going to kill him. And he's like, they'll kill you. And she's like, it doesn't matter. Izzel will be safe. And he's like, let me try this first. <laughs> okay. And if, if I fail, we'll know in the morning and then I'll teach you how to use a knife. So it's like basically the two of them are are, are like very loyal to Izzel. So yeah, she's a great character, but that sounds like a, an excellent casting to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm perfect. Right, so yeah. who who else do you have? Because you know these these characters better than I do. Okay, so the next two that I would want to cast are Ferda and Foix Degara, and they're the kind of like henchmen for Kaz. 
Oh yeah, okay. And they're brothers. And they wind up becoming very important characters in the next book. And so I would want to cast guys who can handle that. They're both sort of, uh, they have comic relief about them in that they're sort of these two very solid, smart young men who are kind of cast into this world of God. Like, he's a saint? What? What the hell's going on? Like, right, right. Be, what? We're going where with who? And, uh, <laughs> so there's sort of the R2-D2 and C-3PO who are there to like ask a lot of questions and get things explained to them so the audience knows what's going on. Yeah, they're introduced as the as friends of Kazrul's ex um, second in command, and one of the first times we see them is Kazrul and the second in command are talking, and Kazrul kind of looks at the door to his chamber and opens it, and one of them is kneeling down with his ear to the door, <laughs> and the and the other brother is standing across the hallway, kind of with his arms crossed, going kind of like, "I knew they were gonna catch you, bro." <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we first kind of we first kind of get a get a, a thought of their character. But they're both very competent soldiers as well, and they're both very good men. They're um, supplicants of the daughters they are um, sort of like temple troops for the daughters order and okay. they're very good guys and for them i honestly john boyega was one of them i would cast john boyega's fur to the older brother and then daniel kalua or kalua yeah, sorry, yeah. I last name i would cast them and i know that neither one of them needs the work but i would just love to see them both in these sort of lighter faster fun roles they're both like they're not stupid and they're not they're not they're not comedy but they're both like sort of get to be a little bit perplexed <laughs> right <laughs> right right no i could say both of them would be great and they'd be good as brothers and play off each other well exactly. but they're also two actors who you could cast in small roles here and you know 100 percent they can step up in the next movie when it's yeah both of them on. can carry could carry a leading role as well and so you we, i would pitch it to them as look at, you know, if this goes, you guys would be leads in the next one. But also Ashton Sanders from Moonlight. The, the, the boy, young, the- Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He would also be another one I would want to cast. So I would like, they have to have great chemistry. So it would have to be two actors that really got on really well together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the same way, like, uh, like the kind of chemistry that Sebastian Stan and Chris Evans have. Right, right. Yeah, you, you need that in these guys. And they have, and it's like, they're actually extremely important characters. They're, they, they're just that they come in halfway. They come in at about the point that Dondo and Taidez die is these two come in. So it's like you lose two supporting characters and get these two supporting characters. Then they become really important for the second half of the book. And then they're very important for the next book. But it's like, yeah, I just, I love, I love them. I, I, my, in my heart, I want John Boyega and Daniel Kaluuya. Well, it also it works, it works for a series yeah. too that you can just, you know, after a certain number of episodes, these actors leave and these actors come in. Yeah. And it's funny, I, I go back and forth between like looking really realistically at casting and how the contracts would work and who you could convince and who would be too big for this product or busy with other things. And sometimes like, Ooh, what if we brought this actor back from the dead? <laughs> <laughs> what if we de-aged someone by 30 years? <laughs> yeah, I, oh God. Yeah, like, we don't need to do that. So the, for, for me, Martuta de Giranel, the older brother of Dondo, is the actual like villain. And he's a tragic villain in some ways because as I said, it's the curse that's warped him. Oh, right, so right. Yeah. So he actually, he is a very, like, he is a, he's, he's loyal, but his loyalty has been warped to be loyalty to his family. And he's a very great administrator, but that's been warped to being using it to line his pockets. And he doesn't think he's the bad guy, which is yeah, one of my best, favorite. the best villains ever do. I cast Daniel ML. Sorry, sorry, Stephen ML from Arrow. I don't know that. I don't know him. Arrow. <laughs> no, I know Arrow. I just haven't seen Oh, it. yeah, yeah. Stephen ML, the Arrow. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So he was Casey Jones in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles remakes. Oh, yeah, okay. 
So he's a very good looking man. He's very, very charming. He is a very good actor. He does brooding intensity with great skill. I would love to cast him in that because I would love to see him get a part where, where he gets to play a guy who is just unequivocally the villain, but thinks he isn't. <laughs> and I think it's good to have an actor who the audience is accustomed to seeing as the hero. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because then and you're kind of you you know you're kind of rooting for him too a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And so you can understand why people would trust him as well. That would be my cast. But again, that's another one where it's like you just need somebody who is capable of great intensity, um, but at the same time is also like a very attractive figure. He could be even older. I'm almost maybe even a little bit young. You could even get an older actor, character actor. And I'm just trying to think of who out there. Like actually, Michael Keaton would do a great job with it as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he might even be a little bit too old, but that doesn't matter. Like, you know, Michael Keaton, because, you know, Michael Keaton, we all know he can do that. Something like that, something along those lines, someone who can play brooding intensity. But at the same time, that was my goal. But then there's another supporting character just from sheer page length, but he's a very important supporting character. And it's a Saint Umagat. So he's a, he's one of those Vikings and he's been exiled to this, to this, new world this other kingdom because he's gay and that's actually a crime in the in the uh, northern kingdoms because that means he being gay is you're under the protection of the bastard so it's like it's considered to be in the kingdoms that worship all five gods it's considered to be just a thing it's part of life there are people who are under the protection of the bastard and they they're gay right 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 yeah, and, and that's fine. And it's like, but in the Viking, in, the, in this Viking world, quote unquote, the Raknari, where the fifth god is a demon and evil that has now shed itself onto same-sex relationships or evil as well. So they cut off their thumbs and then cut out their tongues and then killed them. So he, yeah, so he escapes. Nice. Yeah, so he escapes to Chalion where he's not outlawed and he, he's, he's a priest and he turns out to be a saint, and he's the one who tutors Kaz in, into what needs to be done. Okay. And, yeah, and he, so he's a very interesting character, and he's, he, uh, just to let everyone know, they, they don't do the kill your gays. He lives. <laughs> <laughs> and he's very sympathetic, and he's very interesting. He gets another one of the greatest lines in the book, which is, um, when the saints look at each other, they can perceive each other's power as a kind of light that's shining around them. So if you're a saint of the mother, you have kind of a green aura. If you're a saint of the okay. father, you have kind of a gray aura. If you're a saint of the bastard, your aura is white. And so Kazarel is seeing these, these auras around various people. And he, he looks, and they're very faint, just like a, a sprinkling. And then he looks at Umagat, and Umagat, he says, says to Umagat, you look like you shine like a candle in a window. And Umagat looks at him and says, my lord, you shine like a city on fire. <laughs> So that's how much power Kaz has been given. Oh, okay. And it's a, so it's a great moment that makes you realize the gravity of what's going on. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. That, for that, I would cast Wentworth Miller. Okay. Because I would want a gay, a gay man playing this character, among other things. So Neil Patrick Harris, who actually is a great actor. A lot of people don't realize that. I've seen him play serial killers, and everyone who remembers him as Doogie Howser would not believe how good he is as a serial killer. But I would cast Wentworth Miller, so Captain Cold, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and Break, yeah, and, and Prison Break. I would cast Wentworth Miller would be my fan casting because he's got that quiet gravity to him that that character needs. Yeah, I think that's what you want. Like Neil, Neil Patrick Harris, um, the last thing I saw him in was uh, Series of Unfortunate Events, mm-hmm. and he's so good at chewing the scenery, and he's clearly having yeah. so much fun making that. But I, but yeah, I think you want somebody. Yeah, um, I would. I would 
want Wentworth Miller for the for the gravity of it because he could do both the kind of he's got a, he's got enough comedic chops that he can do the sort of the light the light side of it the wordplay that that goes on but he's a he is a man of serious demeanor that would be my cast for that this is one of the things where I would almost write this as a spec script just to hand it around particularly now since people it's okay to do high fantasy now like Game of Thrones proved that there's a market oh yeah yeah. Yeah, and so I'm like, I'm looking, I'm like, I almost want to write this one as a spec script, and then just go, okay, like it's, it, the book is 20, 30 years old now. I'm like, nobody's optioned it, obviously. You write it as a spec script because I can write a really, because I can compress this narrative and I can write a really good script, and a lot of the great lines are already written for me. I'm thinking about getting back into the movie industry, so we'll see. Well, I also I feel like when something's, you know, when something hits big, there's always a wave of, oh, now this genre is hot, and let's do more things. And we haven't quite seen it with Game of Thrones. I guess though they're doing a Wheel of Time series. Yeah. But also people, people are think, or I want to hope Game of Thrones show that people are really watching this for the story and the characters and yeah. not the, not the effects. Because like, yeah. we have an episode coming up where um, another guest is going to pitch Adapting the Chronicles of Pride Aim, which oh, is a great cool. YA fi- fantasy series that I grew yeah. up on and loved. And I feel, like, I feel like there's a room in the book market and in the TV market for Game of Thrones for kids. Yeah, for like the for like the Stranger Things unfortunate events, like Chilling Adventures of Sabrina audience. Yeah, and it's, bring it's you know, bring that audience into fantasy. It's weird because I never I never used to do this, but after Game of Thrones hit, I started to pitch to pitch my book as it's Game of Thrones meets Criminal Minds. Oh yeah, because yeah. That, that gives people a pretty clear because it's, yeah. it's a serial killer in a, in a high fantasy world, so it's like okay. So it's like, I would never have done that before that, though, because now I don't have to, that's a shorthand that, that works for everybody. Yes, I said, Mike, I better go before my dog pees or no. something. <laughs> okay, well, that's always a good time of the show. So that's our movie. Thanks again to T.G. Shepard. You can find it at tgshepard.com or on Twitter at tgshepardvan. If you have any thoughts on our Curse of Chalian movie or ideas for other movies that need to get made, hit us up on Twitter at YMovie. You can find my column, Wiki Wormhole, in the AV Club every Sunday, and you can hear my weekly radio show, more great music, and other lesser podcasts on subjectmedia.org. Stay safe out there. Get the vaccine if you haven't already. Wash your hands. Keep yourself sane. We'll be back next time on... Why, 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 why is this not a movie?